0: Fear, isn't it? Ah, I hate fear. Last week, I um, got out of a meeting with a friend and, uh, and I get a text message from Allie. And the text message said, come home now, Abby fell. Now I'm gonna suck out all the drama out of it. Everyone's fine. Abby's fine. You probably saw her running around making a lot of noise during worship. That was her. That's my kid. It went. Um, so it's fine. Now, I tried calling, no response. Was, I found out later Ali was on the phone with 911 and, and all of that. So, and, and here's the thing, Abby falls all the time. She's in that life stage right now, right? And also she kind of leads with her head everywhere she goes. So of course she's going to fumble a lot. So it's not like Ali was calling me to go, Abby fell for the first time. You need to come in home and watch the tape now. Like I knew it wasn't that. So I got in my car and I drove home as fast as safely possible. And when I get home, Abby is crying on a stretcher and the ambulance immediately comes over to me and he, uh, the, the paramedic pulls me over and said, dad, here's exactly what's going on. And then I start finding out the story from between him and Allie that Allie was sitting or Abby was sitting on a chair at the kitchen table. Allie was reading her a story and she was playing around as she does and fell out of the chair. Hit the tile on her back of her head and on her neck. Um, she started crying. Allie picked her up and then um, and then she um, what appeared to be a, like a seizure and then um, and then became incapacitated. And so it was in that moment that Ali was like calling nine one one, trying to figure all this out. Again, everything ended up being okay. We um, they went to the children's hospital out of a bunch of caution, ran the CT scans. She was good. Um, which is really great and kind because not every story always ends up that way. But in that 11 minute drive home, I was preparing myself for anything. Talking with God, I felt utterly hopeless or helpless independent. And that's because I was, right? Like what could I do on my drive home to make Abby better? Nothing, right? What I felt was terror, genuine fear, now, a few days later, I'm sitting in that staff meeting, like I mentioned, they were praying, and then I get this word, fear, that comes to my mind, and I'm like, no, because Renault over at the Winter Garden campus this morning got to preach on the joy of the Lord, and over I'm over here with fear, and I'm like, oh, you know, can, can I get a do-over, um, but here's the thing. We all experience fear differently. And maybe you experience fear and you're the kind of person that just punches it right in the face, right? Like, you, you're, like and you're the kind of person that you are afraid of, of, you're afraid of airplanes. So what do you do? You go get in a perfectly good airplane and jump right out of it. Like that's the kind of person you are. Or maybe you're the kind of person that when you experience fear, it just incapacitates you. It's your judgment on how you experience fear or even whatever you are currently fearing. But I recently read something that was really good and really helpful about fear. We fear because we love. Now, here's what that means. Out of our love for people, we fear their deaths. We fear rejection, abandonment. We fear fear for their safety and more, right? There's a a correlation there. Out of our love for doing what we want, we are afraid of commitment. Out of our love for security, we fear financial hardship. Out of our love for our own lives or for living a life with purpose, we fear things like change or losing a job or having to change a job. The point is there is an infinite amount of things that we fear in this world because this world isn't secure, it is planet death. It's the place where things go wrong. It's just the way it works, where the sands are always sifting. You see, there's a number of things to fear because there are an, an infinite number of things that we also love, things we cherish, things that we think are beautiful. So when the things we love can be lost or jeopardizes, that space is known as Fear. Now, the reality is there are things that we should be afraid of, right? Some fear is absolutely legit. The the comical one would be like if you find yourself in the woods and there is a bear chasing you, it would be appropriate to be afraid right now, right? What will the fear do? It starts to create an adrenaline rush in you that helps you move at superhuman speed, at least you hope so, so that you can avoid his paws. And there's also a lot that we fear that, it just never comes to pass. But as I was praying over this message, I felt the spirit of the Lord leading me to fear. You see, there is an infinite number of things that we can be afraid of. So the question is, what do we do with that? I know what I do, and maybe this is what you do as well. But what I do is I, whenever I'm afraid, I feel out of control. And when I feel out of control, I want wisdom. I want to figure it out now. And I want to make it better. So, how do I handle the ever changing circumstance of my life? How do I process the things I, that I fear wisely? How do I discern what is real and what is just like a deception of the enemy? But see, often though, that wisdom, I want to get it on my own terms. So, I do things like I research, I figure things out, I work as hard as I can to figure it all out. And isn't this the story of humanity? I think about it in the garden. When Adam and Eve, what they desire in the garden is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. Sounds like wisdom, right? They wanted wisdom. They wanted it, but they wanted it apart from God. They wanted it on their own terms. Do you ever do that? In the book of Genesis, chapter three, there is... We're just going to turn here quickly. Genesis chapter three, verse eight. We get to see their response, the response to their research trip to this tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So, this is the genesis of fear. The first time in recorded scripture that fear entered into the story of humanity. The response was fear. And this is the first moment that we've experienced. Now, before that, we get no sense of the story of man fearing anything, but now he is afraid. Do you notice the first thing he's afraid of? It's not the bear behind him. It's God. His creator is the first thing he's afraid of. See, wisdom on their own terms didn't lead them near to God. It led them to separation from him and being afraid of him. Now, here's why this is odd. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So according to this verse, let's let's try to figure this out. Shouldn't Adam and Eve felt so wise at this point? I mean, they're afraid of God. Is that what it's talking about? I mean, if it was, check. But then Why? In this moment, does it feel like we are kind of looking in on that story, like the emperor who had no clothes on and found it, and he was a foolish man, right? It feels like it's that kind of a story, right? Like they look foolish. See, it turns out in the Bible we find much on the subject of fear. You might have uh, seen maybe like on some Instagram post at some point that the Bible says 365 times, "Do not be afraid." Um, I've never actually fact-checked that, but it's on Instagram, so, you know. Um, also, my favorite place where I ever learned, that was from Disney classic movie, Pollyanna. Anybody ever watched Pollyanna? A few of you, whoa, I knew Chad would. Um, yeah, a few of yeah, you, great. But get this, so 365, it says, do not be afraid. That's awesome, right? Isn't that good? But 490 times in the Bible, it tells us to fear the Lord. Is the Bible contradicting itself? Don't be afraid, fear the Lord. Don't be afraid, fear the Lord. Well, just so happens in the book of Exodus chapter 20, where we're gonna actually hang out tonight. There's a story that I I think is vitally important that we are familiar with and one that has been deeply meaningful for me, especially in light of all that is happening in this moment. Now, what has just happened in the story is Moses is instituting the vows between God and his people, the Israelites. Now, the reason for these vows is because God is instituting a covenant between him and the pe- people of Israel. Now, a covenant is kind of like a, a Bible word for something more than a contract. A contract is 50-50. I will do my part if you do your part. But a covenant is 100%, 100%. Meaning, I will do my part even if you completely rip, try to rip up this, con- this covenant. And on the flip end, I will do my part even if you completely are faithless on our covenant. So when we talk about marriage, like within the confines of those who follow after Jesus, that's why we use the phrase covenant. Because the government doesn't have the ability to institute covenant. It does the contract or a marriage certificate, right? but the reality is that for marriage, it's a covenant. And that is what God is instituting with his people, the people of Israel in the scene. So in essence, what we are getting is actually a wedding ceremony between God and his people. Now the scene is not the, it's, uh, I got to do a wedding not too long ago for a couple friends of mine, and, uh, it was in this beautiful garden. It was so cool. Uh, This isn't that kind of a scene. In this scene, it's epic and kind of gnarly. I mean, there's clouds descending on Mount Sinai. Thunder is clapping, lightning is flashing. I think that's right. It's going crazy. And Moses goes up to God and comes back down with the vows, the terms of the covenant. We know them as the 10 commandments. Now remember, God's entire plan with humanity was about him restoring the relationship between him and us. So then, let's read a little bit about how this wedding ceremony goes between God and his people. Chapter 20, starting in verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, okay, that's a lot going on, right? The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, we will listen. But get this do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is not a wedding in the garden. So it's obviously a little bit, I mean, it makes sense why they're a little bit spooked in this moment, right? Like this seems pretty scary. But even with that, notice the posture that the God's people have with him. They are afraid, and so what does it say? They stood far off. Now, if, if we were, if we were um, the people of Israel and we were reading this story, it is meant to hyperlink our imaginations back to Genesis chapter 3. At that moment when Adam and Eve hid from God, they were afraid of him, so they kept their distance and this is the story of the people of Israel even now on the eve of their wedding have you ever had that posture with god i think about every single time i have been finding myself living in disobedience desiring my ways over god's ways what do i do i hide i'll literally pray to him but like i'll like in my in my prayers like do gymnastics around the issues that i know he would want to deal with me on Last time I was in that space, this question came to my mind, how do I know when I'm hiding from God? And the answer that I believe he laid on my heart was, you know, you're hiding in the dark when you're afraid of the light. If you're afraid of being found out, discovered or truly seen, chances are you're in the dark. And you're not the first. Our ancient ancestors in the garden, they were in the dark too. But what it does reveal is the wrong fear. So tonight we're gonna talk about two different types of fear and I'm gonna creatively call them wrong fear and right fear. Sound good? Like I know, so creative. Now, the wrong fear is the one that leads us to relational separation from God and others. It's the kind that focuses us in on our circumstance. It's the kind that wants to hold on and cling to control. It's the kind that prioritizes our human wisdom over God's the kind that says verse 19 you speak to us and we will listen but do not let God speak to us lest we die they were failing the test just like Adam and Eve they were staying far off they were choosing what made sense to them in their own wisdom God looks scary I'm going to stay away from that guy Moses, you can talk to him for us, but like not for us. They were choosing what made sense to them over drawing near to God. Imagine um, it's that lush, beautiful garden and I'm standing there with my two friends who are getting married. And, and I say to the husband, you may now kiss your bride. And, and as he leans in to kiss her, if she's all of a sudden started like ducking, you know, how weird would that be? You'd be like, is this still valid? Like, like what? how does this work? It like, it already happened, right? Like what, does this institute something? And they're like, you'd be, whoa, what, what is this? This is the kind of mental picture this is meant to give us. An avoidance of genuine intimacy with God. But then listen to what Moses says to the people. He says, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. That you may not sin. So, this is one of those 365s where we're told in the Bible, do not be afraid. But it's also one of those 490 times where it says, to have the fear of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? In the same sentence, the Bible's contradicting itself. What do you do with that? Well, we've already defined wrong fear. Do not be afraid. Do not have wrong fear. Do not have fear that leads to separation, destruction of intimacy, distrust of God. So, what's that other kind of fear? Well, right fear or wise fear is the kind that leads us to intimacy. Now, oftentimes I've heard the phrase, the fear of the Lord defined as respect or awe or reverence. And for sure, those are all a part of it, but all of those come up short. They don't capture the heartfelt emotions involved in the concept. Unfortunately, the other way that you might be more familiar with how the fear of the Lord is talked about is in some pretty unhelpful ways when people are talking about the fear of the Lord and what they mean by that is actually not the fear of the Lord, it's the punishment of the Lord. Like God is gonna come down and smite you right where you stand, you know, that kind of a, a gist. And in effect though, that takes the focus away from God at all. And it puts us on back on humanity. Note that it's not that God doesn't care deeply and is great enough to exact justice according to his desires and his definition, he does, and the scripture is filled with it and it's unapologetic for it. But that also misses the heartfelt emotion involved in this concept. Now there's a book that I recently read called Rejoice and Tremble, The Surprising Good News of the Fear of God. Sounds like a really page turner, right? It actually is, it's really good. It's by a guy named Michael Reeves. And I found this book to be so helpful. And so I'm gonna be riffing off a lot of his thoughts here. So I need to give credit where credit's due. Now, the first thing to note, though, when we're talking about the fear of God is its Hebrew root. Um, what, Whenever that word is used in the scriptures, what is the Hebrew root word that is underlying it? And when you read that and you discover it is that it is not simply reverence or awe. The mental visual that we are supposed to get is our knees knocking and us actually trembling. I don't know if that's like comforting to you. I would imagine it's possibly not, but that is what it's meant to give you. The mental picture that I have is like an inside out when fear is kind of like, like squeamish and really like afraid of everything, like that kind of an image where your uh, actual image is your body is evoked by fear, okay? Now, there is a level where, yes, God is the creator of every atom of your being and the universe, He is powerful, holy, he is sufficient on his own. God doesn't need you, he doesn't need me, he doesn't need any of us to continue on. As Brady, when he was up here last week, pointed out, we need God's ruach, his spirit, his breath to sustain even our next breath, right? So we are utterly dependent on him. And so in that context, yes, it makes sense why we would have fear towards him. But it's not fear the way we typically think of it. The visual that we are meant to get is one that actually has us falling towards him, not falling away from him. C.S. Lewis is really good at articulating things. That's why I quote him so much. And he articulated the character of God in various ways in different types of books. And one of my favorites is in The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, he helps us get this picture of a healthy fear of God. And so Susan, one of, the, one of the children, is talking to Mr. Beaver, and so she's getting her theology lesson from him, and she asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan, and Aslan is meant to draw our imaginations towards God. And she's confused because, she's a, because he says, Aslan's a lion? The lion, the great lion. And she says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Isn't that powerful? I just started reading it to Asher a couple nights ago. Sorry, so good. You see, the fear of the Lord is actually supposed to captivate you. It's not meant to make you dread God or be separated from God. That's the wrong fear. This fear leads you to go, wow! And I confess that is not my heart posture. I look at my circumstances and I go, wow. But I look at God and I go, yeah! It captivates our faith and it meant to captivate our emotions. Uh, an old Puritan writer who's been dead for a few hundred years, William Gouge explained true godly fear this way. I think this is really good. Pardon the old English. Godly fear arises from faith in the mercy and goodness of God. For when the heart of man hath once felt a sweet taste of God's goodness and found that in his favor only all true happiness consisteth of. it is strike. It is the stricken with such an inward awe and reverence. So it is on reverence, but it's not just that. See, the fear of God is meant to help us to truly believe at the core of our beings in both the greatness and goodness of God. We often doubt one of those two or both. We either don't believe that God is good, but he is powerful. And so that makes God off, that makes God terrifying. It makes him a God you don't wanna hang out with very often. You can believe God is good, but not great. That he has good intentions, but hey, he's doing the best he can. But he is the king, I tell you. He isn't safe, but he is good. He is good and great. And so to speak of any thoughts of the fear of the Lord that is simply just focused on wrath or simply meant to be experienced what we experience as hu- because we're sinful humans would completely be missing the beauty and the point. I thought this was really cool. In the Old Testament, when the fear of the Lord is is discussed, it is most often attached to passages, not about God's wrath, but about his care, his provision, and his deep affection for his people. Isn't that beautiful? Like this one, Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship. Not exactly what you think of when you're thinking of the fear of the Lord, right? The last thing that I want to mention as well is that the fear of the Lord is not a reality because we are sinful. I would argue that Adam and Eve rebelled against God because they did not have this fear of the Lord. Adam and Eve lacked the fear of the Lord as they approached the wrong tree. And then we counter that with how Moses explains the result of the nation of Israel living in the fear of the Lord. Remember, he says, do not fear for God has come to test you. Why? That the fear of the Lord may be before you. Why? That you may not sin. He wants them to draw near to himself, not push away. He wants them to follow after his way, not rebel against him. He wants them to live with the fear of the Lord. So as they are drawn near to him in intimacy and joy, that they would be transformed away from their wrong fears and not sin. And here's the last thing I want to mention about, this, about the fear of the Lord. The most beautiful reality that I discovered in reading, in reading Michael Reeves' book is that Jesus had it. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever heard that? Jesus had it. You might be familiar with this from uh, Christmas. Uh, a lot, um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse three says it this way. And the delight, and this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, who we now know is Jesus. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Let's back up though. Verse two, or verse one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And, the, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Isn't that crazy? Because remember, it also says in the Gospels that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Isn't that interesting? Well, in Proverbs, how do you grow in wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So it's not because we're sinful that we should have the fear of the Lord. Jesus had it. Jesus looked at his father and had that. I don't even know. I don't even have theological categories for what that means or what it looks like, but it's in the scripture. So it's So I believe it's true. This is so radically different than some fear of God's punishment alone. And that's my hope for each of us because the truth is that the fear of the Lord is not meant to draw us away from God. It's meant to have us fall on our knees towards him. Now here's the deal. You might not naturally put joy and fear in the same camp, but the Bible does and it does it often. And isn't this the image that we are meant to get at the resurrection when the two women who were leaving Jesus' tomb, they just realized that Jesus was not there. And it says, they ran with fear and great joy. I mean, you, you hear that like your Messiah, your, your rabbi is resurrected. You're probably having some of that healthy fear of the Lord in you right now, right? And joy, I love how Charles Spurgeon described the connection between the fear of the Lord and joy, and he did it this way. He said, adore and worship the living God with a joyful, tender fear. Joyful, tender fear, got it. Which l- both lays us low, but it lifts us very high. For never do we seem to be near to heaven's golden throne than when our spirit gives itself up to worship him whom it did not see, but in whose but in whose realized presence it trembles with sacred delight. Trembles with sacred delight. Unfortunately, this was not the reality for the people of Israel. Verse 21, the people though stayed far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people ultimately failed the test and they continued to fail the test. That's, the entirety of the Old Testament. They desired to continue pull away from God, to worship other gods, to go after what made sense to them, to go after what the culture said was good and wise and appropriate, to define good and bad on their own terms. They were often afraid of God, but rarely lived in the, with the fear of God. It's tragic. And what I wish I could do is stand here and kind of like make fun of them, but I can't because I'm one of them. I default to fear when I want control, rejection. When I'm afraid of disappointing those I love. When I'm afraid of living a life without meaning, I fear. I default to fearing some things that make sense, but in reality, I often fear things that draw me to figure it out on my own terms, not greater dependence on God. See, I default to fear and that leads me oftentimes to anxiety. And I put my faith in the wrong fear all too often. So don't hear any of this is, you need to stop fearing the wrong things and start just fearing God because the reality is this is just our wrestle together as the family of God. Like we just, we, we read these things and we go, what does this mean for me? What about you? That's meant to be our posture that we are all continually being challenged by the word of God. So the question is, what do you fear? What are you afraid of right now? Is it control? Is it health related? Is it relational? What do you fear? I imagine a lot of what you fear makes sense because you love things. You love your family member that got the diagnosis. You love the relationship that's no longer in existence. You love things, people. That's good. That's good. See, we live in a vastly imperfect world where the things we fear just might come to pass. Not always, maybe not even usually, but sometimes they do. So if that's you tonight, I want to encourage you with something that actually Renault shared with me when I shared with him that I was gonna be sharing this with you. He said it this way. He said, the chapter you are in is dangerous. Like where you're at is valid. If you are struggling tonight, it's It's valid. It's scary. But the book you are in is safe. See, this isn't about fear suppression. Last thing I want to do is a quick thought experiment with you guys. It's called the white bear versus red Volkswagen experiment. Okay, you guys ready for this? See, and um, the way that that it works, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this psychological principle, but the way it works is I'm going to tell you to do something right now, okay? Close your eyes. Don't think of a white bear. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Get him out of your head right now. Y'all, I, I can see all of your thoughts. You're thinking about a white bear, aren't you? Okay, you can open your eyes. Do you guys think about a white bear? Yeah, yeah. White bear comes to mind because when you're just trying to suppress a thought, it doesn't work. And in fact, the original experiment of this, when, they, when, when those who were conducting the test at first, um, the, the, the test group After they told, don't think about the white bear. Then they said, now for five minutes, think about the white bear. They thought about the bear more often than a control group that never was told to not think about the white bear. In other words, just suppressing stuff doesn't work. Elsa had it right on that point. But then they introduced the concept of the red Volkswagen. And here's what the red Volkswagen means, okay? The red Volkswagen is not just don't, think about the white bear. It's instead, think of a red Volkswagen. And they found that the control group or the group was actually able to consistently not think about the white bear because they were thinking about something different. See, this is the way that our brains are hardwired. And this is what we see Moses doing in this passage. He is not just trying to rail against the people of Israel saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He tells them, don't be afraid. Don't, look at, don't think about the, white, uh, about the white bear. But he says, but instead have the fear of the Lord. So it's not about just stop being afraid. Don't you know not to be afraid of things? It says in the Bible 365 times, Instagram and Pollyanna told me, you know. It's instead be captivated by who your creator is who your true father is, who has risen from the dead on your behalf, who is now filling up your life. The triune God, fear him and fall into his arms. So what if we allowed our affections to be stirred by the spirit of God in this way, to love him more than any other circumstance in our life, that we would abide deeply with him, that our hearts and our minds would be renewed day by day by his way. To be so captivated by him that we have this fear that draws us near to him. To be so captivated by him that we are filled with this genuine joy regardless of our circumstance. Now, if you're like me, this is probably not content that you've heard before or have explored much. And in fact, there's a lot of unhelpful and unbiblical teaching on the subject. But my hope is that we would not hear this and run away in terror, just thinking of all the negative experiences and connotations that come from your past, but that you would see that the one who created the stars in the heavens is the one who controls every breath in your body is the same one who desires to wrap you in his loving embrace. Imagine if this was the reality of this church that we were not swayed by our circumstances, our sinful patterns, or our wrong fears. Not because we're just told to stop it already, but because we're so rooted in God and who he is and captivated by what he has done that we would approach Jesus with joyful trembling. So here's what I wanna do tonight. I wanna take us into a space of confession. Confession. But before we do, I wanna address those of you who are in the room who are not believers. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, I'd imagine you have 101 subjects on the subject and everything that's happened so far tonight. Stuff that you disagree with or you just have a lot of questions about. Know that I and this entire community desires to be a safe space, to wrestle, to ask questions, to express doubts and fears. And know that you will be pointed to Jesus in a way that is not pushy it's genuinely, hopefully helpful. So here's what I wanna do right now. I want us to take two minutes. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take two minutes to simply go before the Lord. If there is anything on your heart right now that you believe you need to confess, let's just take that time, trusting that you are filled in a room with other imperfect human beings. I have stuff to confess. I have spaces in my heart where I have unbelief, fears that I've been holding on to. So with, let's just take two minutes and do that. And I have one more exercise for us. I'm better. Okay. Oh, now you can hear me. It sounded way better with you guys being louder too. So that's great. Okay. Thank you guys for engaging in that space. I'm sure that 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 is likely not a part of your normal experience. Um, But in this season, we wanna practice different disciplines and do things that the church has historically done to engage deeper with the spirit of God in our lives, begging him to revive us. Um, I mentioned before a book called Rejoice and Tremble. I have another, um, uh, he wrote another book that's more concise about the same subject called What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? So um, hopefully you didn't already just order that book while I was talking about it on Amazon, but if you did, cool, you have that one. But you also get this one for free tonight um, because of the fact that this isn't a topic that is regularly discussed in the life of the church uh, and you might ha- and you're likely to have questions and you're like, I don't know about all of that, Danny, um, we just wanted to give you a free resource. Uh, so this, this book, um, we have about 50 copies. If we don't have enough for everyone, that's totally okay. Um, we can always order more. So go ahead and grab one. Don't feel like you have to save one for someone else. Grab one and we'll order more if, if needed for next week. Just talk to our blue shirts and they'll be sure to get your name down so that we can make sure to get you a book next week. Okay, so yeah, so the book is called What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Um, and it really is a, a really helpful and enlightening book that draws you to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, what a moment of life and culture that we live in. Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust you, to fear you alone, to trust your sovereignty. But I also confess for me and for my brothers and sisters that that is not always the case. That we don't always fear you alone that we see the waves crashing around us and it's scary. So Lord, we just humbly come before you and ask you to do what only you can do, to comfort, to guide, to help, to draw near. Lord, we need you more than we know. So I pray now for your church. This one, the one down the street, one's around the globe that you would be using the church to be a source of hope, light, and life in both word and deed. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.